Um, we are continuing in our sermon series through the book of Matthew. We've called it the, uh, the crown and the cross, or, or we say the cross and the crown, the cross and the crown. And what we're doing by looking at the book of the gospel of Matthew is we understand that Jesus was not only a earthly king in the sense of he was the king of the Jews and he was a spiritual king as well, but he also suffered the cross. Most of the time when we think of a king, it's just the king who gets all the good stuff and none of the bad stuff. Um, but when we understand who Jesus was, we understood that yes, he was royal, uh, he, he, he reigns supreme, there's no one like him, he's exalted high, but yet he became lowly and he humbled himself uh, and became a man and he died a death, but not just any death, Jesus died a death on the cross uh, for our behalf, taking our sins and, and eradicating us and giving us freedom. And so as we look through the book of uh, Matthew, the gospel that we're seeing is through this lens that we worship not only just a king, but a king who suffered on the cross. And last week we looked at really um, exciting stuff. We looked at the genealogy of Jesus and we read all these names that I could barely pronounce, right? But what we understood is through the genealogy that Jesus is not just Matthew's uh, making a case that Jesus is a king, but not only is he a king, he's a king who comes from a line of people who you and I would not put in our genealogy. You know, we talked about Ancestry.com or 23andMe and, you know, it's really, uh, it's really fun to see where we came from and all these kind of things. And what we like to do is brag about all the people that we maybe may have famous in our in our. Uh, family line or somebody who did something really amazing, but what we leave out usually is all the scandalous parts of the story. And what we saw was that Jesus has a lot of scandalous people in his family. And that, what the, the beauty of that is, you and I aren't perfect. You and I have lived sometimes scandalous lives, and Jesus says, you're part of who I am. I welcome you into my family, and my father adopts you as sons and daughters. And so therefore you can live this full inheritance of a blessing of what it means to be in God. And so continue, this morning we're gonna read chapter two. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna read a story that most of us would read during Christmas time. We're gonna read the story of the three wise men, or some of us uh, have sung the, the old Christmas carol, we three kings of Orient are, Bearing gifts, we, I remember singing this. I went to a, yeah, okay, stop, stop. Um, and what I want to plead the case for you this morning is that this story is not a Christmas story. This is a story about the kingdom of God. And this is a story really of a wrestle of a kingdom. And what I'm going to plead to you this morning is that there's a case for the idea of there's always these kingdoms in our hearts, right? If, if I were a king, or if I were like, here's a better example, like Neil Armstrong, the first man on the moon, you know, this is one small step for man, right? <laughs> is that what he said? One giant leap for mankind. That's what you sound like in the 50s, the 40s, 60s, whatever it was. <laughs> Kirk helped me with my history. <laughs> What was I talking about? Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong plants the flag and it's an American flag and somehow we as Americans go, we own the moon, right? Because we're the first ones, we plant our flag first. 
But any king comes and he plants his flag, and that flag represents his kingdom. And wherever he plants that flag, that's where his authority rules. And I know that both in your heart and in my heart this morning, there's a wrestle. There's kingdoms that are fighting against each other. There's the kingdom of God, and there's our own kingdom of our own flesh and what we want, and then there's the kingdom of the enemy, and we're always in this flux of who's gonna win? Who's gonna win the battle in our mind? Who's gonna win the battle of our heart? Who's gonna win the battle of our emotions and what we do as a people of God? And so Matthew gives us some understanding into this. So let's look at Matthew chapter two, and we're gonna read verses one through 12 this morning. And again, try to take out of your mind the, the Christmas card as I read this, right? You ever get this, you know, it's got the glitter on it with the stars, you know, and then you get glitter on your fingers. That Christmas card, you know the one I'm talking about? Well, that's where this comes from, but that's not really the picture here. So in Matthew chapter two, verses one through 12, reading from the ESV version, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. It says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, Christ means the anointed one. That's not Jesus's last name, okay? A lot of people think that for some reason. Where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it is written by the prophet, uh, he's quoting Micah here, and he says in verse six, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right, right. Verse nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. Poor Joseph. He never gets mentioned in these stories, right? It's always Jesus and Mary. Happy Father's Day. We won't read this on Father's Day. <laughs> and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being war warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for the word this morning. Thank you that it is not reduced to our culture, it's not reduced to what we want it to be, that it is alive, that it's active, that it is what it is, that it transforms us, that it helps us see things that we don't see in our own flesh. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, that Jesus that you sent, when you ascended, you said the Holy Spirit will come and he'll lead you and guide you into all truth. 
And so, Holy Spirit, we subject our hearts to you this morning and say, won't you lead us and guide us into truth this morning, that we may become more like you, more like the Son, that we can glorify you and make much of you every day and everywhere and everything that we do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right. So, Again, we, we, we read this and our minds automatically go toward, you know, the we three kings. Here's the thing. We, the Bible doesn't even say they're kings. Often we assume that these guys are kings because they, they brought kingly gifts. You know, the, the, um, the, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh were, were very expensive gifts. And so our culture would say, well, they must have been kings. Um, nor does the Bible say that there was only three of them. Again, we assume that there was three because there was three gifts. Um, and, you know, maybe each guy brought one gift, but the Bible doesn't say three. We know that there was at least two, right? Because there was wise men. It doesn't say the wise man. Um, but a lot of what we read into this is mostly our culture. And so what we have to do is be very careful when we read scripture is not to put what we want to see in the Bible or what's not there. And so what we're going to do this morning is just unpackage what's plainly there. That's what I love about scripture is that scripture plainly speaks to us. It's not hard to read or understand in the sense of what it says. And that's the beautiful truth about who God is. God is knowable and he's known through his word. And so all we're gonna do this morning is see what the word of God says and what it means for us. And, and the other thing about these guys, the wise guys, oh, wise guys, I just came up with that right now. That's not on my notes, you're welcome. Another thing about these wise men is that Often, I don't know if they were riding camels or horses or donkeys. I mean, probably camels or something. They were crossing uh, a, a desert. And we often picture these guys in like fine silk and linen and jewels and like, you know, like makeup, like they get guy, guy liner on or something, you know, um, they're real exotic looking and all this kind of stuff. Could you imagine traveling in the desert? Who here wants to wear like a tuxedo when you're on a camel traveling across the desert? Nobody. All right. So that picture of these guys, like dry, uh, traversing across the desert in these fine, really nice clothes, they were probably wearing shorts and flip-flops. I don't know, you know, whatever they were to be comfortable. So let's not read into the text, but let's, let's see plainly what Matthew is trying to point out to us. See, the problem is, you, you ever have somebody like in your life group or um, you know, in your Bible study who wants to get caught up in all these things like, well, was the star like a comet? You know, it must have been a comet because there's no way a star could actually move. And you know, were the wise guys, were they, or wise men, were they... <laughs> Were they, you know, astrologers or astronomers? And, and, and you know, let's not get caught up in, in, in all that stuff. Hopefully, if you have somebody like that in your life group, maybe the star will lead them down another house somewhere. You know, I don't know. Um, but let's focus on what Scripture says. So I think what Matthew is continuing to do in this text is that he's helping us understand that there's three kind of responses. When there's an announcement of a king... There's three responses that often what happens in our hearts. And remember the idea of there's a kingdom, there's a war going on in us. There's three little kingdoms that are taking place here. So this first one is, it's the apathy or the indifference. It's the apathy of the scribes. 
And if just to highlight this again, let's read verses three through six. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem. So they quote Micah here, right? And they know everything. Now here's the problem with what's happening. If we just kind of read over this and don't investigate why Matthew is telling us this specific part of the story, we'll miss it. And what I think Matthew is doing, he's building a case for you and me, is what we can often do is act like these scribes here. We have all the information that we would need to know about Jesus, especially if you've grown up in the church like myself. From a little kid, my parents were believers. They brought me to church. I grew up in Sunday school, learned all the stories. I remember the flannel board. I remember all that kind of stuff. And the danger for me sometimes is that I go, yeah, I know that information. And I do what the scribes do here. And I kind of go, yeah, so what? I'm a little apathetic at times. I'm a little indifferent to this information about a king, a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one coming to rescue me from my sins. This is the arrival which our whole nation has been waiting for and these people go, cool. It's funny how Herod doesn't really know the story. Here's this like supposed to be the guy, the leader. And what he does is anybody who knew anything about the story of Israel would know that Jesus, the Messiah, maybe not Jesus, but that the Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem. And what he does is he gets all his best guys. It's kind of like, uh, you, you ever watch those like uh, born ultimatum, you know, like the CIA is trying to get uh, Jason Bourne. And the CIA director's got this team of like 20 people in a room, some, some clandestine room that's like behind smoke and mirrors and they got every computer and they're like, I wanna know. So this is like Herod, he's like, I wanna know where, who he is. I wanna know, you know who, what he likes. I wanna know his bank account. I wanna know, I wanna know what he had for breakfast, right? And, and Herod's doing the same thing and, and all, the, all the professionals come to him and go, uh, duh. It's like Bethlehem, any good Jew knows this stuff, right? But yet they had all this information at their fingertips and in, their, in their minds, but it didn't transfer into their hearts. And Matthew's telling us this morning, don't be like these guys. Don't have just this information. Don't this morning walk out of this room and go, that was nice. No, say, God, what do you want to do in me? Let the truth that Jesus has rescued me and saved me, he is my Messiah, he is my Christ, he is the anointed one, let that truth fill your heart. Don't be apathetic, don't be indifferent about this glorious king that we serve. I heard a story one time, I will never do this to you, okay? This was a bad pastor. You'll be the judge. He, he tricked his congregation. He was frustrated with them in their worship. You may have heard the story. But he gets up in front of the congregation before they're about to sing in their worship. And he tells them the story. He goes, hey guys, I was, I was, uh, I was eating lunch at this restaurant this week. And um, you know, I was just hanging out with the other pastor and we were talking. And then as I was talking, I noticed 
the pastor who was sitting across from me was like, right? And I went, he's like, what? And he goes, do you see who's sitting behind you? And he's like, no. He's like, don't turn around. Don't turn around now. And he, goes, and he leans over and he goes, it's Celine Dion, right? Now, most of us are like, big what, whatever. But, you know, for this guy, it must have been a big deal. Celine Dion. And he's like sitting and he's like, you know what? He tells the other pastor, I'm going to ask her to come to our church tomorrow and sing for us. Do you th- what do you think she'll say? You know? And he's like, dude, that's crazy. Don't, and he goes, no, I'm going to ask her. So he's telling his, his church the story, and he says, so I asked her, and guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time here at this church, will you please stand and give a very warm welcome to Miss Celine Dion? Now, what does the congregation do? They go berserk. They go crazy. They get off their chairs. They stand up. They're hooting. They're hollering. And all of a sudden, you know, the lights are flashing, all this stuff. And Celine Dion's not walking out. And so, you know, maybe she needs more applause. And so we just keep, and she doesn't come out. Now, this is why I say he's a bad pastor. (laughs) The pastor says, hey, I tricked you this morning. That actually never happened. I did that because the moment we started singing to Jesus, most of you were like sipping your coffee and your hands in your, your pockets or sitting down. You're feeling indifferent about this. But the moment I mentioned somebody who to you might be famous, you guys went crazy and you were so excited. Now, I think it's a good illustration these scribes and these Pharisees and the religious people and the people who knew what they should have known and it should have gone from their head to their heart, but it didn't. And so often that happens to you and me. And Matthew specifically points them out. Don't be like the scribe. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the religious people who know everything about Jesus, but it doesn't do anything to you. It doesn't move you it doesn't break your heart. The reason why Ryan up here is crying is not because we've done anything amazing. It's because God's been so good with us this year. That's the first person. That's the first response. The second response we see is with King Herod himself. Uh, let's revisit this again in verses seven through eight. It says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, I don't want to steal next week, but we know Herod is not wanting to worship Jesus. He's wanting to destroy Jesus. He's wanting to make sure that Jesus doesn't Get in his way and his plans and his kingdom. And that's the thing about reading this story. If we, re, if we reduce it to just this nice Christmas story where the three kings are traveling and they give their gifts, we're missing the point of it. What this is, it's really a wrestle of two kings. It's a wrestle between King Herod and King Jesus. And what Matthew's doing by pointing out the reaction of Herod, he's saying, hey, readers, you might be in the same spot as Herod. You might say, I'm fearful of having my kingdom taken away from me. What am I going to do about it? 
See, here's the thing about Herod. Herod's not really a Jew. He's like, he's, he's half Jewish, but he's, the other half of him is not Jewish. So he really is an heir to the throne that he's sitting on, and he knows that. And how he's become the king is he's connived, he's, he's shouldered up with Rome, and they, he, you know, he's been buddy-buddy with them. And so because of that, they've given him the kingdom of, of the Jews. They really don't want to deal with Jewish people, so they're like, well, let's appoint a ruler there. Herod, he'll do, because he kind of is our, you know, he'll do whatever we ask him to do. And so at every moment, Herod is paranoid. We see that Herod's actually a particularly evil ruler. He would take out anybody who threatened his kingdom. He, he murdered his own wife. He murdered uh, three of his sons. Before he's about to die on his deathbed, he, he tells all the officials, murder, uh, kill all the noblemen in Israel. I mean, he's just anybody who threatens his kingdom, he's gonna take them out. Now, for most of us here this morning, we don't have a kingdom per se, physically, but what we do have is a kingdom in our hearts, right? And there's a war going on. And we might ask the question, well, what kind of evil man would go so far as to do all these evil things to make sure that his kingdom isn't in opposition? But ask yourself this morning, what do you do when Jesus requires of you your whole life. How do you respond to Christ when he says, I want all of you? And it means this thing that you love so much, this part of your kingdom has to go. What do you do in those moments? Do you conspire? Do you connive? Do you try to manipulate God? You see, Herod's duplicitous here. Duplicit. He, he is trying to even trick God. He's like, right? Like, well, tell me where he is so that I can worship him too. And it's if, how naive are we sometimes that we think that we can do the same thing with God? Oh God, you're asking this of me? Okay, maybe uh, if I kind of live my life a certain way, then you'll kind of be tricked into thinking that I'm wholeheartedly following after you. The thing is, God's not tricked by those things. There might be circumstances in your life right now that are happening and you're saying, God, why is this taking place? And maybe it's because you haven't surrendered all of who you are to God. And he's saying, I'm just going to let this be a thorn in your side until you fully surrender all of who you are to me. Because God is after our hearts. You've reached the maximum time. That's what God's saying. He's speaking this morning. Your time is up. So this morning, guys... We could look at, we could look at two, two bad options, right? We could look at, we could be like a scribe. We could be like a holy religious person who knows all the good things and just be indifferent and not be constantly changed. You know, think about these wise men who, the Bible, uh, a lot of commentators say they probably traveled for about 800 miles. 800 miles on a camel. That is terrible. That's just why I'm saying they're probably wearing shorts and flip-flops. 
You're not 800 miles in a silk robe. 800 miles, and then they're like so excited, they finally, the star comes over here, and they get there, and what happens? These people, they're like, Where, where's the Christ? Where's the anointed one? Where's the Messiah? Where's the king that we're seeking? And the people say, oh, we know where he is. He's gonna be born in Bethlehem. They're like, thank you, right? They're so excited, and the scribes are like, what's up with these guys? But you know what the wise ones are probably thinking? What's up with these guys? Why aren't they more excited? They know it. I mean, we traveled 800 miles to get here. They're only six miles away from Bethlehem. What's the deal? Or we could be like Herod. Not my kingdom. You're not taking my keys. You're not, I'm not giving up my rights. There's no way I'm gonna do whatever it takes because I like things the way they are. And God, you could be God of this area of my life, you could be God of this area of my life, but don't touch this area, because the moment you do, uh-uh, no, I'm gonna stand up against you. The beautiful thing is there's a third option for us, and that is with the wise men. Verses nine through 12 says this, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let me just stop there for a second. When's the last time you rejoiced exceedingly with great joy? And what was it for? Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Now, this, these wise men, if they were in the year 2018, None of us would say these guys are Christians. Because let's bring it in today's context. None of us would say, oh, these guys were, they were Christian people. These guys had it all together. These guys knew everything there was. They were just like the scribes, except they responded differently. No. What I love about Matthew's gospel is he does the same thing that he did with us last week in speaking about the genealogy. He does it again with the wise men. And the wise men didn't have their ducks in a row spiritually. They didn't have it all figured out. You know what the wise men had? Is they had a longing in their heart to worship the one true God. And I know that in this room this morning, there might be people who you would consider yourself to be a seeker of God. You're not totally, you may not totally understand the Christian faith, and I'm so, we're so glad you're here this morning. And if you have questions about the Christian faith, please ask, that's why we're here. And you may say, well, I, I know that, you know, I may have grown up in church and I had this understanding of church, but you know, things happen in my life that kind of makes me question, but what I do know is I want to worship God. I wanna know the love of God. I wanna do what's right. And I wanna give myself to what's right. And, you're in good company this morning because that's where the wise men were. 
See, they didn't have it all together. They weren't Jewish people that that God set up. Only the Jewish people can come and worship this Jewish king. No, they were people from, from probably Babylon who were pagans. But they did know this, is that they were seeking the king, the Messiah. And it says they rejoiced greatly. I don't know if you saw it in here. One of the beautiful things about what the star does is it says it rested over the house where the child was. And if you're a seeker this morning and you're following like a star, there's been star moments in your life, maybe moments where you're like, man, it felt like something was happening. It felt like I had this kind of moment of truth where I got closer to, to, to God, but I'm not totally figuring out, I would want to challenge you this morning and say, that star is only ever going to rest over Jesus. That's where it's leading you. It's not leading you to this greater understanding of the universe. It's not leading to you to a better version of yourself. It's not leading you to become a a, a better moral person and make a difference in this world. The star that, that has been guiding you sometimes in your life has been leading you to Jesus. And the question is, are you okay? Are you gonna surrender where that star has stopped? See, the wise men were wise. They surrendered to the stopping of the star. And it ended with probably a two-year-old baby. They recognized the leading of God in their life. So you don't have to have it all together this morning. You may say, even you might identify as a Christian, but we don't all have it all together. The question is, will we surrender where God says, this is the king. Who's your king this morning? Who's your king? Let's stand. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment now and, and respond. Um, and then we'll enjoy some tacos. Part of what we do every Sunday, every time we gather, there's always an expectation that God's going to do something in us. And whether you're a seeker this morning, whether you are a veteran Christian, whether you're somebody somewhere in between, God's never done working in our hearts. And so we're going to respond. One of the ways we respond is we take communion. And what communion is, it's a representation of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So we, we have crackers that represent the broken body of Jesus. And we have juice that represents the spilt blood of Jesus. And when we, when we partake in the bread, when we eat it, we're saying, thank you, Jesus, for your body that took my sins upon itself. All of my sin." But it doesn't end there. The blood represents something that washes away our sin. Not only was our, our sin taken from us, but we were made completely whole and righteous. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees perfection in spite of our sin. And so if you're a believer here this morning, if, if you have said, yes, I put my hope and faith 
in Jesus as both my Lord and Savior, you can partake in communion. Part of what we do as well is we respond in worship by giving. If you are part of this church, if you say Southlands is my home, this is a great opportunity for you to worship through finances. And we say, Jesus, thank you that all of what we have is because you've given it. We're just giving back to you. Uh, if you are not a member here at Southlands, if you're visiting, this is not for you. There's no obligation to give financially. But in both those acts of worship, what we're doing is we're saying, God, thank you for your son. And we thank you for the story of Matthew. We thank you for that you identify these three responses. And what we're, we're saying is, God, help me to respond rightly to your kingdom. Help me to lay down my kingdom. Help me to go beyond knowledge and help my, my heart to be flooded with joy of who you are. So I'm gonna pray for us. Uh, we'll take communion and then the band's gonna lead us in a song. Can we do that? All right, let's pray.